From gorgeous George to the present day, it's David the Smart Mark, stunning Sean, looking back on the golden era of professional wrestling. This is Radio Free Pro Wrestling Retrospective. Well, ladies and gentlemen, happy Thursday. Hope you're doing well. It's Stunning Sean alongside David the Smart Mark as we look back at one of my favorite moments in professional wrestling history. We're going back to the first Money Nitro, September 4th, 1995, from the Mall of America. How you doing, David? I'm great, mate. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening. Uh, Welcome, everyone, to what will be, I'm going to say a relatively short retrospective, but full of quality nonetheless. The only reason I say short is because going back, this was the day the very first episode official episode of Nitro was only an hour and they crammed a lot in as we'll find out it was really entertaining and really really enjoyable to go back and look over it again Sean yet again goes for quality rather than quantity well David before we get started my original idea for this episode was us going back one year to all out and I couldn't figure out how to pull that one off for you, so you got saved. Well, yeah, that would have been nice because obviously we're coming up to our it's this weekend is our anniversary episode of Radio Free Pro Wrestling, and and people said it wouldn't last, Sean. They did. They said it. Well, certainly that Agnew fella and that Aguinaldo fella and Lavransky, um, you know. But we proved them wrong. We persevered. We pushed out and we pushed forward. And, uh, you know, I think it's just a Canadian bias, sure. The views of David and Smartmart are of David and not Radio Free Professional Wrestling. <laughs> oh, dear. Come on, son, have some spine. You know you know they ripped us off. Anyway, yeah, this, that Boris fella, that Boris fella was was stamped on before the competition had even started. Uh, that Boris, honestly. I love Boris, but he was a stamped on winner, you know, before it had even started. Oh, well. You know, we're like Impact. They can't kill us. No, exactly. Yeah, bingo. We are the Impact of the podcast. I'm not sure I like that, but it's true. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. The Impact of the podcast, wrestling podcasting world. Hmm, That's got a hook, that sure. Oh, why did I just started? Anyway, shall we um, shall we look at Monday Night Nitro from the Mall of America in Minneapolis, which interestingly, as a Brit, I've got lost in on a visit. Genuinely, got absolutely completely lost in because apparently at one point wasn't it the biggest mall in the world? Am I correct in saying that? Yes, for a short time it was the biggest mall in the world. Okay, so biggest mall in the world, and I've never been to it. I should go to it one of these days, but I've never been around to get to it. Well, I was just lucky because in my previous career within the um, the British military, we we did a stop. I was doing aircraft security on uh, an aircraft that stopped over in Minneapolis. Um, we stayed for one or two nights, I can't remember, but basically the hotel did a, a courtesy shuttle bus to the mall of, Mi- of Minneapolis. So obviously we went and it was like, oh my God, it's a different world. Completely different world to the shopping centres over here in the UK. And the fact that it was a theme park, in the middle of it, blew my mind for a start. And I, I, I got lost, genuinely, genuinely got lost and was having to ask security how the hell to get out, which amused security there most, you know. But anyway, that's a story for another day. But yes, that's that's my claim to fame with this particular venue. I got lost in the middle of it. Okay, so our announcers for this first Money Nitro are <laughs> Eric Bischoff, Bobby DeBrain Heaton, and Steve Mongo Michael. Now, the thing with Mongo is currently he's suffering from 
ALS, so I want to send my best wishes out to Mono McMichael. That's very nice of you. I'm just going to call it as I saw it. Mongo, Bobby the Brain Heenan is brilliant. Um, and he is Bobby, Bobby the Brain Heenan. And he just spends the episode, wherever possible, insulting Mongo with uh, vague American football references that only, obviously, you know, the Americans of the time that we got based back on Mongo's NFL career. You know, I mean, Heenan's brilliant, but Mongo, Mongo, we could have done without, with all due respect to him. Yeah, and obviously we don't wish ill on ill on him, but he, his announcing career was pretty much like his wrestling career, full of mistakes. So our first match coming up is literally one of the greatest matches in WCW history. And I forget, it only lasted six minutes. Was it? I, do you know what? I didn't. I normally look at the times. As you know, I'm normally a time badger on, on looking at this, and I didn't. But yeah, um... Coming out to very cliched entrance music. I don't know whether you picked up on that. Yeah, it was a little interesting what music they had for the legend, Jujan Funner Liger. Yeah, Liger comes out, and he was introduced by uh, Eric as one of New Japan Pro Wrestling's top young stars. I'm reasonably certain Liger was probably at least in his mid-30s at this point. But anyway, yeah, and then, then out comes um, Cincinnati's own, another NFL, ex-NFL player, the enigma that is Flying Brian. And to be fair here, he looked fantastic. The match was brilliant. They got a lot in in the six minutes. And they didn't go out of the ring much again. Another lesson of you can get spots, you can get stuff done in the ring in a short period of time and both get get both performers over. Exactly, David, because you only see them probably go out twice, if I remember right. One was a like yeah. a, a poncho by Joseph Fenneliger onto Brian Brian Pilbin. Then Pilbin does a cross body from the, the top rope yeah. to the outside. Yeah, they're the only two big spots I remember. Okay, my favorite spot in this match is the surfboard that Juicy Funderlager puts Pillman in because I thought, oh my word, they're going to have Pillman lose here in the very first match because when I first watched this back in 1995, I thought he was going to lose to Yeah, I quite, I must admit, I quite enjoyed the, and they showed it again in slow motion, I quite enjoyed the um, Pillman drop kick on to Liger, which was that good they were able to show it in slow motion and, and Liger's reaction to it the way he sells it was was excellent yeah a really really enjoyable little opener but for the purpose of WCW Nitro on its opening night one of its young lions at the time goes over exactly now after this match we go to a very interesting promo <laughs> because it's earlier in the day and it's Sting and he's chatting about facing Ric Flair which will be coming up here on Nitro, that's in a short moment. Now, after that, there's another promo segment. It's Eric Bischoff standing in front of Possumania, brother, talking to Hulk Hogan, surrounded by a group of kids. Well, first up, yeah, you... you <laughs> first up, Sting made absolutely no sense, apart from he was badgering on about the Scorpion Death, uh, Scorpion Deathlock, um, which was like, right, okay. Uh, it's fair to say it's not the Dark Sting yet. It's still the happy-go-lucky, woo, uh, type Sting. Um, and then, yeah, we go off Hulk Hogan and Pastamania. Uh, Bishop's, uh, he's got a load of kids who've obviously forced to be around there, which he's giving out autographs to. You can barely see, you can see Jimmy Hart in the background at the back of Hogan, jumping up and down, waving the belt. He gets Pastamania in, I don't know how many times. And honestly, I'm just killing myself. Because if ever there was a promo that summed up early Hogan, 
this was it. And it just shows why his turn to the NWO for a short period of time made him relevant again because he really needed to be because this was just garbage, but pure garbage in, in quite an enjoyable way, actually, if that makes sense. Okay, so on a side note, Possumania didn't make it a full year. We have lasted longer oh, than Possumania. Really? Oh, brilliant. <laughs> to be fair, I, he kept going on about his menu, and, and it's just like, oh, shut up. Um, but yeah, right in front of the menu, right in front of the Mall of America, loads of kids who eat their pasta, and he's he's gonna he's gonna through the powers of pasta mania beat Big Bubba Rogers, uh, the Big Boss Man, or whatever you want later on today. Okay, so the second match on Nitro ever is Sting versus Ric Flair. Sting is the current WCW United States Champion, and Flair looks good here. Flair comes out and he looks good. They both look good, to be fair. Although I felt this was. Considering you've seen Sting and Flair an awful lot, a little formularic lake, um, particularly the ending. But as they get in the ring, we get a shock, Sean, don't we? We get a big shock as they're circling each other. Something happens, which was at the time pretty unique. Exactly. So Lex Luger arrives to the Mall of America and literally Luger's contract ran out the previous weekend. And he arrives on Nitro, and the place goes crazy. Well, at least Eric Bischoff goes crazy. Now, the story <laughs> behind this is, Eric Bischoff was not really wanting to bring Luger into WCW, but he did it as a favor to Sting. And that shows you how much Sting is revered in WCW. Yeah, that's very true. And it was a total secret on the night. No one knew that Sting... Um, Luger and Eric, including the boys of the bat. Apparently, they snuck him in. And even the WWE weren't expected to see him. Um, apparently, it caused some consternation with Raw. Um, but yeah, it was a great visual. And Sting is visibly, in the storyline, distracted by Luger's presence. Flair, not so much. But Flair is the first one to notice him, as per the the, the match layout, if you like. And um, yeah, it's really, really clever how they did it. I really liked it. Simple premise... But very well done. Well, that's not the only arrival we had during this match because Double A, Arn Anderson, walks out to ringside. Now, going into this, <laughs> this is when he was feuding with Ric Flair in this bizarro world that was WCW 1995. I was thinking, wait a minute, is he coming out helping Ric Flair? Then I went, oh, wait a minute, no, this is where he's feuding with Ric Flair because you see Flair locking the figure four, Sting is holding onto the ropes trying to get the break. And Arn Anderson walks into the ring for the finish and is a no contest. Yeah, I mean, and you can see why it kept them both strong. It was, this was more for the introduction to Luger, the continuation of, of, of Anderson. There was a lot of reasons why this was a bit of a, a bullcrap finish, if you like. Um, and, and to be fair, you can accept that because Sting was not going to lose the title. Flair, obviously, has got to stay strong because he is, at this point, even allowing for Hogan and what's to come, he is WCW. Flair always has been, um, along with Sting. I, you know, I didn't find it less entertaining for the finish. No, I mean, I enjoyed the whole segment here. Now, this is where it becomes a, like, caffeine rush because there's so much things happening here. So allow me to explain this one for you. <laughs> so after we see all that happen with Sting, Anderson, and Flair, we have another debut. Scott Norton just walks onto the screen out of stage right. And everybody like, who the heck are you? Yeah, I mean, that was the impression. There's only, like, people like us in hindsight that, oh, Scotty Flash Norton. Um, yeah, 
that probably quite wasn't done as well as Lucas' arrival. Um, but they bigged him up as well, though, didn't they? Exactly, because you had Macho Man Randy Savage come out and go like, Hey, you're Scott Norton. And, yeah. man, you, you want to fight? We don't have a wait till next week. We can fight right now. Yeah. Um, but that's not the only time that that was uh, that line was done. That line was done in this show. But yeah, I mean, that, that, again, it's a question for you, Sean, because I, I genuinely don't know. It's just come up on the top of my head. What's because they've got this relationship with New Japan? Was Scotty Norton in New Japan at this time? I do believe he still was working with New Japan, and I think that's how he got in here because. It would make sense with him and Liger. So, yeah, I do believe he was working with New Japan. Yeah, I, I, say, I was trying to... <coughs> excuse me, when I watched this, I was uh, I was trying to sort of like dot my I's and cross my T's of, of timeline, but it's, it's such a long time ago. Um, one, one visual that I, I, I got continuously from the um, from the show, this show was obviously recorded in the middle of the Mall of America. They hadn't closed the mall down. And you got visuals of people still going up and down escalators, going about their daily shopping and their daily business, which I found quite bizarre. Yeah, it's really interesting because I watched this episode twice before recording this podcast. And the second time through, I just start looking in the background going like, oh, hey, way in the back there, I can see a state house. I can see, oh, hey, there's this shop here that had the prime real estate and it was a flag store, a store that literally sold international flags. They had the best spot because they were on hard cam the whole freaking night. <laughs> Yeah, that was very bizarre. Very, very bizarre indeed. But hey, you know, it actually made for the uniqueness of the very first ever Nitro. But we have a main event still to come, my friend, don't we? And boy, what a main event. Okay, so I got to remember, this is 1995, and we are in the middle of red and yellow Hulkamania arrival in WCW and he's American made so yes we have Hulk Hogan <laughs> Bubba Rogers who we would know as the big boss man yeah and um, obviously he didn't come out looking like the boss man but he wore not dissimilar attire and, and he wrestled like the big boss man so that gets my vote but this obviously didn't get that long because um, they had more business to attend to at the end of the show, which is principally where they were going. Um, but it was a Hogan match um, for what it was for the short period of time. There was lo- lots of punch kick offense, Sean, wasn't there? Exactly. If you've seen one Hulk Hogan match, you have seen them all. <laughs> and this is literally paint-by-numbers Hulk Hogan match. You have the heel get a slight advantage. Then eventually, he does the thing where he knocks Hogan on the ground. Hogan starts hawking up. Points the finger, a oh, yeah. couple of punches, big boot, then drops the leg, one, two, three. But, hey, guess what? Here comes the Dungeon of <sighs> Doom, one of the worst factions in WCW history to make this attack on Hogan. <laughs> Who's here to save Hogan? It's Les Luger! Yep. He, it, I mean, right, okay, now, sort of break this down a little bit. The Dungeon of Doom come out en masse. Now, um, I love Kevin Sullivan. I really, really do, but you're absolutely bang on. It will go down in history as one of the stupidest factions ever in professional wrestling. Um, and that includes Hit Row at the moment. You know, it's, um, wow, yeah, but they, they, they lay the boots. There's three of them come down, Sean. You had a Zodiac, you had Shark, you had Kevin Sullivan, you had Kamala. Oh, that's right, yeah, I forgot Kamala, well done. Yeah. So Hogan has a moment here where he's fighting four on one and he's holding his own because a he's Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, 
if he's going to be knocked down, it's going to take at least 15 members. Um, oh, dear. Um, anyway, as you correctly say, Luger comes out and Luger saves Hogan. But Hogan's not happy, nonetheless. He wants to know. He wants to know, brother, what Luger's doing. And we, we sort of, they go to a break, really, at a quite awkward moment, don't they? Uh, uh, towards the end of this. I think there's there's about three or four minutes of the broadcast left and they go to a break just as you're about to find out. Exactly. It's kind of like they kind of mistimed the episode and they had to throw in one more commercial break for TNT. So they're like, hey, hang with us because we'll be right back. And you come back and Mean Gene's in the ring. Mean Gene's in the ring and he's got the microphone and you've got you got the Macho Man and Hogan on one side, which you would have, and you've got Sting and Luger on the other. Um, if I've missed anything, please, please put me back in my box. And Mean Gene's got the microphone. And as usual, they do that brilliant visual where Mean Gene, like all about five foot one of him, is between um, Luger and Hogan. Hogan's towering over everyone. Then you've got Mean Gene who's somewhere down there, close to Grumpy Doc and Bashful of the Seven Dwarves, and then Luger is obviously an impressive individual. But that is quite funny, and I always love the dynamic of Mean Gene looking up, trying to poke the mic between um, between faces, and, and Hogan wants to know what Luger is doing in WCW and why he's there. Well, brother, Luger says Hogan is, like, the best professional wrestler in the world, yeah. and that's the reason <laughs> he's here, because he wants that WCW world title. At that point, Bret Hart turned over in his grave and was like, what? Hold my beer. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, he did. It was obviously, it was an awful setup line just to put Hogan over. But yeah, they, they basically build to um, to a match, which will be on the next, the second episode of Nitro with Hogan putting the belt on the line, offering to put the belt on the line against Luger on Monday Nitro. Next Monday, they shake hands and then have a little, a little set of handbags, a little push and shove. Um, as we go back to the uh, commentating booth. Exactly. Here we are. We're at the very end. But before we talk about the very end of Nitro here, they also throw in the very first time you ever hear, this is WCW, where the big boys play. I thought they did it the whole episode. Did they not do it at the start as well? Okay, maybe I missed that, but maybe I'm just remembering the moment from when I first watched it, and I remember this is where Luger says it to Hogan, and I was like, Hogan, yeah, oh, this, this is where they got it from. Yeah, no, 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 this is where they, they definitely introduced it on this this episode. They definitely introduced it on the, this episode, but I'm certain, because I because as you know, you've, you've um, extracted... Um, the urine out of me for using it on uh, the Rock and Roll Wrestling Show on Fenland Youth Radio. It is one of my favourite actual um, old old school wrestling catchphrases. And um, I, I'm sure I noticed it. It got used in the opening sequence when they're, they're doing the panning round of them all from the camera. But I might be wrong with that. But yeah, it definitely gets used at the end. And um, yeah, it is like, yeah, where the big boys play. Absolutely. So anyway, this is a very short and easy watch. If you want to go back on the network and watch it, if you haven't seen it in a few years. And it's enjoyable. I know it doesn't all make sense, but it's 44 minutes and I enjoyed the whole thing. Yeah, I concur 100%. Um, 44 minutes of sheer fun. Just watch the Pastelmania section. Segment. If you don't watch anything else with Hogan, I was on my back dying. Absolutely hilarious when it wasn't meant to be. But it just shows, you know, what the difference between that and, you know, the modern day stuff that we go through. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was an excellent choice. But you've you've now got a history of excellent choices and I'm just playing catch up and I've got one I've got one one of my favourite shows lined up for next week of all time. Okay, David. So we're going back one year 
and we're watching AEW All Out, right? No, sorry. I can't sit through another casino battle royal, Sean. I'm sorry. Okay, fine. So what are we watching next week, Mr. Smart Mart? Well, you um, you picked 1995. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to move forward 10 years. Okay. We're going to go to New York. We're going to go to June in New York to the Hammerstein Ballroom. Any clues yet? Okay. So if Cena wins, we're going to riot? No. You're a year out. Nice. Well done. No, 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 don't, don't look, don't look disheartened. You're right, you bang on. We're going to do the first, not the second, from where you quoted, ECW One Night Stand, 2005, live from the Hammerstiff Ballroom, with the JBL Blue Meanie shoot, with Paul Heyman's semi-quasi shoot on uh, Triple H and all the WWE. Um, Tommy Dreamer, believe it or not, and you just have to bear with us on this. Chris Benoit versus Eddie Guerrero. The best match of the night. Nine minutes of just sheer ouch with Mike Awesome and Masato uh, Tanaka. And obviously the big main event of the Dudley Boys versus Tommy Dreamer and the Sandman. And the, the big moz at the end where everyone who's anyone gets in the ring. And they all batter seven bells out of each other. But one of my favourite bits from it is the Heyman entrance and the Heyman promo of that night. And that's what I'm going to be talking about personally. Obviously, you'll find your favourite bits of the night. One of my favourite shows. The crowd are awesome. Um, and the wrestling's the wrestling's okay. The wrestling's okay, but it's not necessarily about the wrestling. One of those shows where the crowd carries it, and it's not necessarily about the wrestling. It's about a celebration, and I love that show. And obviously, you have to watch it. You have to watch it for the real Sandman entrance with Metallica playing into Sandman as he comes in from the crowd for the main event from the upper tier in the Hammerstein Ballroom. I'm giving it all away now, ladies and gentlemen, but watch this. You're going to love it, Sean. Yes, I remember watching this, and I remember that Heyman promo, and that promo is legendary, and it felt like he was going to melt the place down with what he said yeah yeah absolutely it's it's it's, it's a quasi shoot i know um some of it was was pre a little bit written but a lot of it's off his head but as i say this hearing and seeing that enter sandman the sandman's entrance oh it's just fantastic and the whole of the hammersmith ballroom just screaming um Metallica's Enter Sandman at the top of their lungs. Just fantastic. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to wrap up this episode of RPW Retrospective. David, tell the good people, have a great rest of the week. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy your rest of the week. Enjoy Dynamite. Enjoy Rampage. Hey, and it's all out weekend, guys. I can't wait. I really, really can't wait. Well, you know why you can't wait? Because it's the time for me to walk in as the Churchill Cup champion and defend it for the first time in September. We don't know. Yeah, it's all even. So, I am determined. I have to do better. I have to reward the UK with the Churchill Cup coming home. Different opponent, different month. It's coming. It's coming home. Goodbye, everyone. Well, ladies and gentlemen, tune in this Saturday to the season two premiere of Radio Free Professional Wrestling. And until then, Stunning Sean, on behalf of David and Smart Martin, have a stunning end to your week. This is Sergeant Arms of Christina on behalf of the guys. Thanks for listening to today's show. Please head over to Apple Podcast and leave a five-star rating and a review. Until next time, the liberation continues.